Welcome to the Gifted in Real Life podcast, where we discuss all things gifted learning, whether you yourself are gifted, you're parenting, counseling, or helping to launch someone gifted. This is the place to discuss your journey without the fear of judgment. I insist that you relax and enjoy the show. everybody. Welcome to the Gifted in Real Life podcast, where we discuss all things gifted learner related, including but not limited to parenting, teaching, counseling, and helping to launch gifted individuals for life. I'm your host, Juanika Brim, and I'm on a mission to serve gifted learners and their families by providing them with support, camaraderie, resources, to help them thrive in life. And on today's episode, we have a special guest, David Chandler, who is the owner of Math Without Borders. So David, if you would just introduce yourself briefly. Okay, Uh, I'm David Chandler. I'm retired from a fairly long career of teaching physics and math since 1972. You can do the math there. But uh, anyway, in my retirement, the last few years of my actual teaching, I was uh, teaching at a charter school that worked with homeschool families. So each of us that were credentialed teachers were like coaching like about 20 or 25 families, something like that. And I was there for nine years. So I had a lot of experience working with families of homeschoolers and One of the things I saw as a big deficit was uh, the math curriculum material that was out there for homeschoolers, at least what I was seeing, was largely uh, watered down uh, and inadequate. And I was really appalled by some of it. Some is better than others. It's not uniform, but it was was pretty bleak overall, I thought. Um, So... I started, I took on as a project, Uh, I started with the geometry course because that was the one I was most in love with. I had a really good geometry textbook I was using. And I, uh, but then I start one after another, I started recording the whole high school math curriculum. And by this point now, I have recorded from algebra, five courses, algebra through calculus. And I've added now a sixth course, which is physics. Physics is my real thing. I majored in physics in college and I got a master's in math. But anyway, so that's the nature of the project. And the idea is rather than <clears throat> rather than simplify the math textbooks so the parents don't feel intimidated by it, because I think that's the real driving thing there, is that you hand them a regular standard math textbook and parents aren't really prepared to coach their kids through that. Rather than that, uh, you need a real teacher. The textbooks are not designed to be self, you know, self-contained classroom. The textbook is one component of a classroom, and uh, they're designed to be used by a real teacher who can mediate this to the student and be a mentor in how to think through uh, the issues and uh, so forth. So by my recording, uh, this, I'm the teacher, so I'm, you're inviting me into your home as the teacher, 
I have a video lesson for every single section through the text and a second video going through doing the actual problem solving of all the assigned problems, which is like half the problems in the book. Um, and then um, anyway, I have that all the way through the curriculum and that's that's been my uh, project. I'm sort of at a plateau that I've sort of finished all that. I have taught far, far more students in my retirement than I taught in my entire teaching career. Wow. And so I've been around the block a bunch of times. I've seen it all. Uh, I know the good stuff from the bad stuff. And math teaching tends to be driven by fads. And there's a bunch of really bad stuff out there. I mean, it's just like my own grandkids are in school, in a public school. And it's when I have to tutor them, it's really a nightmare sometimes. It's, um, you know, it's not really set up for them to, to enable them to really learn. So anyway, I've taken good, solid, traditional textbooks that are proven by time as uh, the best ones out there. And I've basically made them homeschool friendly by adding the, the teaching to them. Wow, that's awesome. Before I get into more about math and how to um, disseminate and present that information to homeschooling students, I want to talk about you for a little bit. Can you tell me what your introduction was to giftedness? Uh, my dad. <laughs> okay, so that's right. Uh, I want to hear um, about I that. I mean, okay. And then hey. from you. Go ahead. Okay. Not, you know, one of the things about talking about yourself is that it sounds like bragging, but it's not. It's just statement of fact. I'm a gifted person. Uh, I went, you know, I got straight A's through most of school, at least all through high school and everything. And it was, uh, you know, people said, oh, I had to work so hard to get into a good college. I didn't work hard to get into a good college. I just showed up for class. I listened to what they were saying. I read the stuff, turned in the assignments and got A's and uh, so forth. I went to Harvey Mudd College, which is, if you look it up, it's one of the best uh, science and math schools in the country. Um, and whatever. So I, I basically uh, have that kind of educational thing. You want a little story. The first okay. time in my growing up, when I recognized, I literally recognized that I was smarter than my teacher was in preschool, literally. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know about nowadays, but back when I was a kid, you had to take a little map to school and you roll it down and that's what you take a nap on at a certain point during the day, right? Right. And so after my nap, I had these tall tennis shoes and I like to lace up my tennis shoes and I was playing with the laces and everything. And I realized that I didn't have to go this one, then this one then this one, then this one, the way I was taught, I started very during variations. I thought, well, hmm, I could take one strand and go back and forth all the way up as long as I skipped uh, an eye every time. Then I'd take the other one all the way up and it worked, it was great. Wow. And so the teacher came by when I was doing that one day and she came over and started pulling the laces out and said, no, no, no. You go this one, then this one. And so, no, listen to me. Watch me. 
She wouldn't. I mean, you know, it was like, I said, why? You know, she wouldn't even watch me or listen to me explain that I had another way to do it that would work. Wow. And it just really, I mean, I just, it, I didn't argue with her. I just so thought, but boy, she's not, she doesn't understand. So that, that was sort of, it made an impression on me that not all grown-ups uh, either are curious or understand things and they won't listen. I don't know. That really bothered me. Wow. That's a great story. And it, it gets at the heart of the whole reason I want to do this podcast. What you just described, the experience that you had not being able to express learning your way I think a lot of times teachers get so caught up in the process and I personally as an educator care more about the product like can you do the thing because that's what's ultimately important can you tie your shoe it doesn't matter to me that you had a creative way to do it and Mm -hmm. so um, that's why I asked you that question I wanted to get at the heart of it I know you now as this brilliant math professional, but I want to hear some more about your journey, like from, you just shared a story from kindergarten all the way through. Preschool. I was, I was four well, years preschool, old. Preschool, <laughs> which, you know, for one of my kids, it was a total waste of time. And, you know, and huh? trying to work with certain educators, like you said, sometimes they just don't listen. I think there's like a cognitive dissonance that happens. Like they just can't believe what they're seeing or what they're hearing. And instead of being open and being flexible, you know, to sort of meet the child where they are, they just default to the cookie cutter strategy that is going to work for every single, every single child in the classroom because I, I made this perfect lesson plan and I'm going to get it out. So that's what's m- most important a lot of times. And so a lot is missed along the way. So mm-hmm. were you, when you entered school, do you remember if you were um, tested and identified to be a part of a program? Were there any programs at the school that you attended during that time? No, How, what was weren't. your experience like from okay. elementary through school? Were your teachers accommodating? Some were, some weren't. My mom was a fifth grade teacher and she was at the same school that my sister, my sister and I, she's one year younger than I am. Okay. Uh, but the two of us went through the same school where my mom taught. And, um, you know, my mom was, was saying how, you know, certain groups of kids luck out in that as they go through year by year through school, they hit all the really good experienced teachers. And then you get other groups of kids that they get one, you know, like you get a brand new teacher with no experience and frequently, no matter how good a teacher they end up being in the long run, a lot of times they're sort of floundering that first year or so. And there's certain groups of kids that hit all the, <clears throat> the trouble, you know, trouble spots. And we lucked out and we had basically uh, good teachers. I know my second grade teacher uh, did a lot of things on the side. I think she got a PhD or something, but she was, um, it was just a regular public school. Um, and, but she was, uh, she came back, I know, when I was about fifth or sixth grade or something and, uh, had, and did some of this one-on-one kind of IQ testing and stuff where you, you know, do stuff with blocks and it was sort of a manual thing. 
And so I think I was part of her research project is what it was. But um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I was identified as gifted in the sense that I had a high IQ. I mean, my mom knew that. She wouldn't tell us our IQ, but uh, Same. <laughs> just, just before college, here I was, my sister and I were, she skipped a grade, by the way. So we went through from fourth grade on in the same class, like we're twins. But uh, we both went to really strong colleges. And she went to Pomona College and I went to Hard and Mud. And it Did was- Did you say Pomona uh, College? Pomona. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's in Claremont, California. Um, I you know used Pomona? to be a principal in Pomona. Oh, Pomona, California? Oh, yeah. Oh, we lived in Laverne. You know Laverne? Yes. Okay. I lived in Laverne. Small world. My mentor okay. still lives there in Laverne. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that was, uh, so we were the, we were in Laverne from high school on and Baldwin Park over the hill or Kellogg Hill. That's where I grew up through elementary familiar. school. Okay. Anyway, so Southern California circles there. I don't know where I left off. Anyway, there you go. So you were talking uh, oh, about I know your sister. Thing. Yeah. So just uh, before we went into college, my sister and I ganged up on my mom and said, "Hey, we're going to be competing with really bright students. I think we ought to know what our IQ is, just so that we have some. You know, <laughs> you had been telling us we were sort of really high IQ or so. All she would do is to say it's over 140, but she wouldn't go beyond that. She didn't, and she said that we were only one. Oh, she made a special point. We're only one point apart." But she never said which one was which. So we always teased each other about which one was. Uh, anyway. That, yeah, which that, that one point meant nothing but, at that point. Yeah, yeah, it's all statistically <laughs> insignificant. It doesn't right. mean anything. Right. So, but my mom, being a teacher, she had really good wisdom. For instance, the first time I ever saw a report card was I was over at my friend's house across the street and there was a report card laying around by the phone there. And I looked at it and I said, oh, what's all this stuff? And so I was asking her about it. And she said, oh, don't worry about that. And all the way through school, she just said, don't worry about grades. I hate grading. Report cards don't mean anything. You know, what, what counts is, did you do your best? And did you learn what you're supposed to learn? And are you ready to keep going? And, you know, she took a very pragmatic attitude and so we were very uh, conditioned to, uh, to not put a lot of stock in, you know, brownie points and merits and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was just focus on, is there something to learn and learn it? Right. And, or if, you know, um, like for science, she wasn't, she didn't have a whole, well, she actually had a lot of science background actually, but we had this box at the back of the room. I, oh, by the way, my sister and I both had my mother as a teacher the same year in fifth grade. So there we go. That sounds like fun. But we have this, but we had this big wooden box at the back of the room with all sorts of science stuff in it. it had prisms and batteries and uh, you know, for all sorts of different physical sciences all mixed together. And so her approach was uh, hey, go play with it. And that is my model. I mean, hey, I did all kinds of things. We had this little Morse code thing, you know, you, you make with the battery and the wires and yes. rewind the battery around a nail and you get a clicker and, you know, standard thing. But I wasn't satisfied with that because, you know, I wanted so when you push the button, you go, bzzz, 
I wanted it to buzz. And so I invented, I mean, I love it. A thousand other people invented it before me, but still, I invented a way to get my little Morse code thing to buzz so that I had a part of the circuit where as the thing came down, it would break the circuit and pop back up again. Then it would make the circuit and pop back down again. And it would just go vibrating. And I was quite pleased with that. So that was an invention of mine. Uh, you know, the Siva Veritosthenes, that's a thing, it's a math thing. On junior high, my uh, eighth grade math teacher uh, uh, wanted us to find all the prime numbers up to 100. Okay. And so I was playing around with a little page of graph paper, little squares, and, you know, um, quadrille, real paper, whatever, like quarter inch squares. And so I just numbered them like this. And I realized, oh, if I just go every other one, that's all the multiples of two and just cross all those out. So circle the two and knock out all the multiples of two. Then I came back to the three and then went every third one. I noticed that each number had its own pattern. And if you try that on a 10 by 10 grid, you'll see particular characteristic patterns for each of the numbers that you're stepping through. And then by the time you got up to 10, like, well, actually like 11, it's, oh, you don't knock out any new squares because the smallest uh, number that 11 would knock out would be 121, 11 squared, because all of the smaller numbers have already been knocked out. 11 times six or seven or anything else, that's already been knocked out, right? And so by the time you get up to basically the square root of the number you're aiming for, you've got them all. And whoa, that's called the Siva Veritosthenes. Okay. And I, and I invented it. Oh, did you? In eighth grade. Oh, wow. Of course, Veritosthenes beat me by a few thousand years. Okay. But, all right. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't matter. I own it psychologically. That was something that I figured out on my own. And so whenever you actually engage with a problem and work it out, it's like you own that problem, like there's something special there. Yeah, and you can do it again. My, I didn't like math in elementary school because it was so much just routine. You have to get the right answers and it's just drill. I mean, it was boring, okay? I did okay at it, but I wasn't really like fast with my arithmetic or anything. But the things I liked, the only part of math that really intrigued me were the word problems. Oh, wow. And there's a word problem that I remember from fifth grade. <laughs> and that word problem I pondered for years. Okay, but I first encountered it in fifth grade. And it so was a thing- So I bet you still know what that problem oh, is. Oh yeah, I was about to tell you. <laughs> you, you take a, you have a, you have a yard and you're putting a picket fence around it. So say across the front of your yard, let's just say it's um, 50 feet across, all right? Or say 100 feet, let's have a bigger yard. You have 100 feet across and you're gonna put a picket every foot. How many pickets do you need? One? No, a, you know, the pickets are the little- Oh, oh, legs. oh, I'm thinking a whole side of it. No, no, so all, how many, how many, vertical little slabs do you need to with little pointy tops you know a little picket fence 12 
No, it's 100 feet across. And okay. It's <laughs> I, you're going to have to start over with the problem. Okay. You have 100 feet across the front of your yard. Okay. And you want to put one picket every foot. Okay. How many pickets would it take? 100? No. And that's the thing. That's the wrong answer. Because you have to account for the space in between? No. It's because you have to start from zero. Oh. Because you have both ends as well as... In other words, not only do you go one, two, three, but you also have to have the first one. Got and it. So if you want to say how many horizontal boards do you need, you just count the spaces. But if you say how many pickets do you want, you have to add one. Okay. Just like so take your hand. Look at this. One, two, three, four, five, right? Right. But how many gaps are there? I one, see. two, three, four. Okay. And so from here to here, if these are an inch apart. It's like one, two, three, four. If you have your fingers spaced an inch apart, going from the first one to the last one would be four inches. But there's five fingers because there's four spaces. And each of the spaces is that inch that you're talking about, you see? Okay. So in other words, that difference between when do you, when do you count from one when you're a kid, the very first thing, you always start counting at one, right? But then you take a ruler, you give a kid a ruler, and frequently, I'm not saying occasionally, I'm saying frequently, when if you're teaching like in fifth or sixth grade or wherever, and you want to say measure off five inches, they'll put the one at the start. But it should be zero. You should put the zero at the start. Okay. So you knowing just, when you, you start from zero me. and... When you start from zero and when you start from one, it's an interesting thing that they don't consciously teach kids. And those who get good at using measuring tools and all that pick it up somewhere along the line. Okay. But that's something that actually is a point worth learning. And I learned it that, that from my fifth grade word problem that I literally remember to this. I remember what kind of book it was in. Okay, so you're going to have to teach me something. So okay. I, when I homeschooled my kids, I, my daughter is now in sixth grade. And so uh, prior to this year, they've always done Singapore math. And at first, I thought Singapore math was a little bit um, intense, but I came to love it because I think it has rigor and I like the three pronged approach. So when I'm teaching my daughter, mind you, I'm not a math teacher by trade. I taught English, theater. I could teach everything else. And I, I taught math and I came to really enjoy it. But I did not have the best experiences with math, even though I was a good student. Mm -hmm. um, and so in Singapore math, there would be these times when I would teach them measurement and that issue would come up. I'm like, wow, how do I teach her this? Like, because it did seem inconsistent. There were times when they did start with the zero and times when they did it. So how do you know exactly when to start with zero and when not to? Well, if you're measuring intervals, like if you're saying, how far is it from here to here? That's one step, right? Right. So how many steps do you, if you start here and then I'm you can't write just, this down. No, don't write it down. Just understand <laughs> it. Don't write it down. Hey. I have hey, to tell my daughter. <laughs> don't write it down. Just listen and understand it. If you're going from here to here, you're starting here and you're ending there, 
that's one interval, right? That's one step. Now, if you're counting the places you are, you know, if you want to say that's one of the places that you're counting, then you would start with that, right? But if you're counting intervals, then this is like a zero because your first completed interval is when you get to the ending point over here. So that's one step, two, three, four, you have four steps there. And so if you measure the distance, if these are an inch apart, that's going to be four inches for a five-fingered hand, right? So, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things that seems so trivial to yes. an adult who does measurement and all that. But for a kid learning about numbers and how to use the number system, a lot of adults don't realize that there's an issue there that needs to be at least highlighted. Right. And, uh, you know, it was literally by playing with that and pondering it and, you know, coming to terms with it that made that a fascinating problem for me. Um, so let me let me. So I want to get back to the whole idea of being gifted. Mm. What for you? What do you think the biggest misconception is that people have about um about individuals who are gifted? I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I hang out with the Gifted Homeschool Forum and most of the people in the professional group there are psychologists or stuff like that. I basically, you know, I'm doing it by the seat of my pants. One of the things I learned somewhere along the line, I mean, somebody pointed, I guess when I was in uh, teacher education, uh, Somebody pointed out that one, I mean, they're listing things that are needed for gifted education. And one of the criteria that it put down there was having a gifted adult or a gifted teacher or a gifted mentor. I see teaching ideally as a mentorship. You need a, an adult or you need a person who's been through it all that can somehow mediate their uh, the, the way they think to this, uh, to the students, to the new generation or whatever. And so I see my role as being, I mean, as a teacher throughout my career, as being the guy who can think along with the students. I have stories to tell. <laughs> can I, I can I, you. can I tell a story? Sure. All right. I'm going to bring up, may I share the screen? Sure. Uh, I have a, okay, here's my website. And if you go to my website, mathwithoutborders.com, I have this bonus tab thing. By the way, if you go down here, there are samples of all of my courses. So uh, go check it out. Uh, by the way, I also have uh, in the purchase tab here, I have a, a sampler pack, zero, it's free. You get oh, wow. the entire first chapter of all of my courses. Oh, so wow. six courses, algebra through calculus plus physics. You get an entire chapter. So if you want to check out my teaching, that's where you can see it all. Okay. Wow. But that's wow. not what I was here to show you. Okay. So if I go to the bonus topics, um, <clears throat> I just have random stuff here. Uh, up here in this first paragraph, in this charter school that I was at, uh, the, the principal of the school found this uh, book that was like uh, how to teach calculus to your fifth grader kind of a thing. 
And it was, in, it was an interesting book, actually. It was not just how to teach calculus. It was basically uh, looking at things from a very hands-on kind of perspective. But she said, why don't you do something like that? And I didn't want to do that, but it, it just sort of opened up, do off-the-wall stuff. So I created this course called Math Explorations, and I just have a list here of 60-something topics I did. We did perspective drawing. We did compass courses. We did paper dolls. That's uh, interesting. You know, you yeah, know it's relatable. Dolls? Try and figure out a way to do paper dolls so it comes out boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, you know, like the skirts and the pants and whatever. It's interesting, Okay. <laughs> Uh, I mean, or we did a solar system walk. I mean, all sorts. So I did all of these things. I just came up with some topic every week and I described it as stuff that doesn't look like math. Mm, okay. Nice. And basically, my criterion was uh, what were topics that were intriguing that I could rem remember from my childhood and all the rest, things that would be intriguing that got my brain stimulated. And it was sort of a way of choosing topics that uh, would help you think more like a scientist or a mathematician. And it was mostly based on uh, that intrigue factor rather than content. I didn't teach any algorithms or any you know, factual content. And yet I had one girl in there, a second grader, absolutely paranoid of math tests. And uh, uh, I mean, she would freeze up every time there was any kind of like yes, uh, I've seen that situation. before. And uh, she was a anyway. So she was in this math explorations class, and she became my most loyal student. She was there every single time and loved it. She's the one that said, "This stuff doesn't look like math." Oh wow! So that's where I got that uh, little saying. But it's like. Uh, at the in the spring when they did the standardized testing, she just breezed through it. Oh it wow! Was, it was I didn't teach her a thing about how to do any of the arithmetic. Okay, so let me pause that, for a second. Taking the the sting out of it. So let me pause for a second. So if I were to ask you where you would send a kid if they wanted to learn about stem and leaf plotting, do you have something for that? That's statistics stuff, right? Right. It's just a topic in statistics. In fact, I never even got, I never even, I went through a physics major in college. I never, ever, ever saw stem and leaf plots until I was teaching it in school. Like I so said, are, they, you, are, they, you, are you into trading at all? Hmm? <laughs> are you into trading at all? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm into, interest, I'm into interesting stuff. I don't <laughs> I don't miss, you know, you put a dollar sign in front of a number and it just makes it all confusing to me. Oh, so wow. that's not what I'm interested in. Anyway, I want to come back to this. I wanted to show you something that came out of, this is a topic. Can you see this right now? It says one way to solve a yes, maze. Yes, I can see it. I'm going to try playing it just a second. We don't have to do the whole thing. But um, in a class that, in this math explorations class, it was like second grade. She wanted to be across uh, the whole curricular from second grade through sixth graders, all in one class. What would you put together for a math curriculum? 
So I came to class one day with a, with a pile of mazes that I had Xeroxed out of. There was a book called A Big Book of Mazes. I just put a pile of these on the table and I said, grab a maze. And here's a bunch of crayons and go for it. See if you can figure out how to do these mazes. And it was, I didn't come in teaching anything. That's perfect. I didn't have any strategy in mind. But during the class, I interacted constantly with the students. And they say, like, one, so the thing that was the, the big one was, somebody was way down in the middle of the maze, and I said, how could I choose whether to go this way or go this way with this particular wall? All right? Like, here's a, it looks like a big dividing line. Where, which way should I go? So I just thought, said, well, let's take that wall, take your crayon and, and connect that wall and see where it goes. Which side of the maze does it connect to? And if it connects over to this side, you know, there's going to be a barrier all that way. So don't go that way, go the other way. And so we started doing that. And so he made what that decision based on that. And we just did more and more of these little walls that we connected out to the side. And here's what resulted. I, the first one. Can you hear the music? I can. Yeah. I just put together some. So I'm just illustrating briefly here. This arose out of that class. Watch. I grabbed a random maze off the internet. I mean, I did the computer part on my own afterwards. I did it with crayons in class. Now, you know about the flood fill tool in a paint program where you touch a point and everything connected to that point turns that color? Yes. So I'm using the flood fill tool with red. Boom. Let's just pause right there. Do you notice that we have a bunch of red lines and a bunch of blue lines? Yes, that's our warning. We're coming up on, we have about six more minutes. Okay, and I want well, to go ahead. No, and I want to finish this. Point. Yeah, you ahead. know how to do this maze? You walk between the colors. Oh. And so the rest of this whole thing is I just start here and I start going and I just make sure that I can touch a red and a blue at the same time. You can get all the way through this maze. Boom. You can take really, really, really complicated looking mazes and go bing, bing, boom. So the whole time you have to touch a red and blue at the same time? Yeah, walk between. It's like two sets of walls that are interleaved. Oh, wow. And the trick to solving the maze is it's two sets of walls separated by the solution path. Oh, wow. It was a way to look at the maze. This literally, this strategy literally arose out of my interaction with a bunch of second graders on up in that class. I walked into that day not having a clue what I was going to how you know I didn't have any strategies to I present, but this arose out of that class. I took this colored, it was literally colored with crayon, the one that I did in class. And I took it to the principal afterwards and I said, look what we did in class today. And you know what she said? What? 
is this what we're paying you for? And so I said, this is exactly what you're paying me for. Great we answer. Did, we did real math in class today. And I talked to her years later. I said, remember that incident? <laughs> were you just putting me on or were you serious? She said, I was serious. I mean, clueless. This is what doing math really is. It's yes. Way, so it's the visualization. It's uh, the spatial. Yeah, this is the spatial side of math. You have you have algorithmic and spatial concepts that all get mixed in together. And being able to play with this kind of stuff, that's what math really is. This it is what is. mathematicians do. You know, Man, there's, there's a saying, what, what is mathematics? This is awesome. I what is mathematics? It's what mathematicians do late at night. That's, that's the that's the joke, you know. But anyway, I have a whole slew of stuff. I'm going to be talking about this with that uh, gifted homeschoolers group. Starting off talking about pi, starting with a square. Okay. Know, and things like this. Anyway, there you go. So, so in the time that we have left, I want to ask this. you a couple of more questions that have to do with oh. the gifted personality. So, so we're going to gifted personality here. is I don't like the routine stuff. Let's do the fun stuff. That's okay. Right, anyway. So, so, um, so I'm going to ask you a question that might seem okay. frivolous, but I want to ask it because I want to get at, at something that I think is highly misunderstood about gifted individuals. How does it feel to be gifted to you? enjoying life, wondering about stuff. There was a saying, I got, I applied for a job once at a school that was really interesting. I didn't get the job because they were looking for somebody with a PhD actually, but uh, I had a master's, but they, they interviewed me anyway because of my resume, all right? But uh, one of the things that they had on their little brochure was that what they wanted to, what they were trying to promote was empowered curiosity. And I thought that was such a great uh, little saying, whether they actually did it or not, but as far as a, uh, you know, something to aspire to. So empowering, so creating curiosity and empowering a person to not only be curious, but to follow up on their curiosity and to be able to explore, to be able to pull in all the different experiences, educational and otherwise, into uh, applying it and using it to delve into the whole problem solving thing. And a lot of this applies beyond math and science, but I mean, it's, I just thought that was great. Yeah. That, that sort of sums up for me. So one of my things here today, today was being a mentor. You need somebody to be a mentor. And so if you don't happen to have a mentor somewhere in your neighborhood, invite me in I'll be your mentor here nice. but then uh the other is uh uh I have another little saying my my preferred teaching strategy dump all the toys on the table and play yes so yes. it's not like you know I hate it to say you know I I was at a school I just stayed there one year I hated it so much oh, wow. I was at a I taught at a junior high I'm not a junior high teacher that was a long <laughs> move but they wanted somebody to start their computer pro, uh, computer lab stuff anyway 
Uh, they made me turn in lesson plans every week, following a certain format and all that. I just gave them the same lesson plan every week. I just so hated that. <laughs> you know, I don't have a lesson plan. I have ideas of what I want to to cover, but where you go along the way in getting there, it's a product of the interaction of the teacher with the students. And how can I program out? I'm going to teach them this and then this. It's so sterile. It takes the people out of the equation. So for me, uh, you know, there's connections to be made all over the whole universe of mathematics, and you can pull things together. My logo, my think math without borders, the borders part of that, it was literally, I mean, it's not a matter of being international. It's a matter of take the Pythagorean theorem. Is that geometry? Is that algebra? Is that statistics? Is that number theory? Is it this? Is it it's, it's, you find it in every branch of mathematics. Practically every single, I don't know of a single branch of mathematics where the Pythagorean theorem doesn't come in. I mean, it's like there are no borders that you can define subjects within math. It's all mushed together and there's connections all over the place. It's a big network of ideas. And so my math without borders, I was originally thinking of trying to teach math so you wouldn't have all those traditional boundaries. You can't market it that way because people want to prepare their kids for school classes. Right. So it didn't turn out, but I kept the title and I make connections all the time. So even if I'm teaching geometry at one point, I make connections with number theory and with algebra and all the rest. So anyway. Wow. So um, in closing, um, in closing thoughts, um, I have two questions. So if you could, I don't know, if you could wave a magic wand and you could compel the general population to understand something about gifted learners, what would that be? And then secondly, if somebody wants to work with you, how can they contact you? Well. I'm not set up for, I, I, do, I do have tutorial as an option, you know, but I don't encourage it. So I try to set my price. I try to price myself out of the market. I'm basically producing the stuff. If you want to see me say every single thing I would say when I'm tutoring, just get one of the courses and I say it there pretty much, okay? But I mean, you need to have somebody to engage with who will actually be engaged with the subject matter. So I'm, <clears throat> even if I'm teaching algebra one or whatever I'm teaching, I'm engaging with the subject matter alongside the student. And I'm hopefully modeling the thought processes that are involved. And I'm drawing from my other experiences, the fact that I have physics as well as math, it's not all just sterile numbers and chalkboards, it's actual experiences, and a little bit of engineering, a little design. I have things I've invented, you know, all these things, uh, you know, I can draw on these kinds of things in, uh, you know, hopefully bring it to life, but it's not all planned out. It's just interacting. If you have an engaged student interacting with an engaged, I was going to say teacher, but an engaged adult, yes. an engaged adult, 
that brings the experience to the table. So you have the, you know, the some of my students, I can't keep up with them in terms of just the energy level and the, you know, they're very sharp thinkers and all the rest, some of them, but um, I still have something to offer because right. I have the experience and so forth. So uh, it's important for, from my perspective, uh, to have a curriculum, a teacher, whoever, that respects the process of let's get in this and enjoy it and play it and play with it and uh, appreciate uh, the broader connections that it's not just, um, you know, it's not just learning a list of things that you have right. to check them off, you know? Right. I mean, you can kill a subject that way. Yes. So whatever, you know, open the fire hose. Yes. <laughs> and, the broader and, connections. I think you said that well. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So um, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, David, so much for um, agreeing to come on with me and share what you do and just the impact that you're having. Um, thanks a lot. So mathwithoutborders.com. Go check it out. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff buried there that you're not going to see right on the surface. So don't right. just stick with the surface stuff. Awesome. Awesome. 